Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Marine here from Tom's Big Spiders. Obviously kicking this one off with a uh, hope that everybody is doing okay out there as the quarantines and stay in place and shelter in place or whatever they're calling them continue. Again, crazy times. And again, I'm not going to dwell on them because I think the majority of us just want to kind of get away from it all for a bit. So I hope everybody has or had a fantastic Good Friday and a happy Easter. And, you know, we'll fingers crossed that things will slowly start getting back to normal soon. The weather has been getting warmer. That's nice. I mean, we went out for a walk the other day, Billy and I, and it, it felt very spring-like. So that's kind of lifting our moods a bit. But I'm sure everybody else out there is probably going a little bit nuts, especially those of you that are stuck at home all the time. So uh, you can join me in my insanity because it's been quite a crazy couple weeks here. Uh, the online teachers in uh, teaching is in full swing, the distance learning and trying to get a hold of parents and kids and get them online and, and working with my own son and my kids who are doing work. So it's it's been a crazy few weeks. And But the good thing is, I, I will say the spiders have been my happy place more so than ever. The, the best part of this is the fact that I do have some more time to work with the spiders. And that generally is what I do when I'm stressed out. So it's, it's kind of working out. It's like my own little therapy session when I go in there and start doing feedings. All right, so kick this one off, uh, having just discussed the old water dish thing recently. Every morning, it's kind of a running joke for me. I have the same routine. I get up, I have my cup of coffee, I go on, check my emails for school, I check my emails for Tom's Big Spiders, and I go on to YouTube, check the comments there. And it's funny, it seems like without fail, every night I go to sleep, I wake up in the morning, and there'll be one kind of infuriating comment. They'll just be like, why do these guys always come out at night? And this one was on my video that I was just talking about that I did a while ago, a really crappy video about water dishes where which is basically me staring at a table with water dishes, ranting about how I don't understand why people don't include them. And a guy named Brian Davis came on and his comment was, this dude is so wrong, they can drown in a water dish. And I'm like, here is the problem with the hobby. So the unfortunately, it's one of those topics that pops up all the time because I feel like I need to keep bringing it up because unfortunately, other keepers don't keep water dishes in theirs. They do videos on them. They put stuff out there that says you don't need them. And again, uh, we can talk about the, the gray area wherein people have raised tarantulas without ever giving them water dishes. It, to say that if they don't get them, they will die is not true. However, to deny the tarantula the right to get a drink anytime it wants to, I think is just selfish and wrong and lazy, but in my personal opinion. And unfortunately, there are still people out there that believe they can drown. So it's that misinformation. So it, these these comments sometimes, like in this case, I don't think it was necessarily a troll. I don't think it was a guy coming on to try to irritate me. I think it was somebody that really looked at this and went, oh, I can't believe this guy just said this. They're all going to drown because he doesn't know any better. So in this case, I did what I usually do when I'm not sure if the person's trolling or not. I politely said that I disagree with him, that he is basically... It's a myth and asked him to go check out an article that I wrote on the tarantulas and water dishes a while back. I did, after saying that I was going to do a tarantula controversies on it, I realized I had already done a tarantula controversies on it, which was kind of funny. I'm apparently forgetting what I'm doing nowadays, but it was a while ago, but I did direct him toward that. And so we'll see what happens. I'll probably never hear from him again, which bothers me only because I've had people that will come back and engage with me and go, wow, I didn't know that. And I love that because there's somebody that came on the video to basically say, hey, you're wrong. You have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm able to convince them that I do actually have some experience and know what I'm talking about. I mean, as I informed him, I've kept hundreds 
And, you know, from small slings to adults, I provide water dishes with probably a good 90% of them, some of the slings starting as small as a half an inch, and I've never had a single one drown. So I have the experience to back it up that they don't drown, but I just it drives me nuts sometimes because I just wish these people, they I know what probably what happens is they stumble on this video somewhere, and they have no idea who I am. It, which is totally reasonable. and But instead of going and clicking, going, who is this guy? Clicking on Tom's Big Spiders and maybe looking at some of my other body of work, which may give them a little more confidence of what I'm saying, they just kind of throw off their nasty comment and go away. So anyway, it just, it's funny to me because this happens like every single night I wake up and all it's like all the ding-dongs come out in the middle of the night and with their nasty comments and stuff. But I thought this one was timely as we were just talking about the water dish thing. So I'm thinking about doing a video of it. I'm If I do a video and I... I will be reaching out to people to please pay attention because I want to include as many as possible. But I've been collecting a lot of pictures and video of tarantulas drinking over the years. But unfortunately, I don't necessarily have them, a lot of them saved and I don't necessarily know who sent them. And I'd like to give credit where credit is due. So be on the lookout for me putting a call out basically for pictures of your tarantulas drinking. Because if I do this, I want a powerful message sent. And I think instead of having my goofy butt on screen talking about them, we should have just in the background as I talk and go through what I think my opinion about tarantulas and water dishes are, have just pictures and video of them drinking. I think that's about as powerful as you can get. So people will start to look at this or see this. And even if they don't watch the whole video, they'll be like, wow, all these tarantulas are drinking. My kids and family are even like last night I'm eating dinner and Billy's like, you got to come in and see this. She called me in and my Ecampostratus male was right in his water dish getting a nice big drink. Like if that wasn't there, what was he going to do? He wouldn't be able to get a drink. He'd have to go drink out of the dirt, which again, I've pointed to the fact that I don't think that's the most sanitary thing in the world, especially if you're keeping a fossorial species where you're constantly adding water in. And, you know, bottom line, even if you pull out those boluses, there can be some bacteria in there. You don't want them drinking out of that. You want to give them fresh water. So anyway, not to keep on harping on that topic, but it, it keeps coming up. And I don't want to do a video in a way because I don't want it to appear I'm reacting to the other one that just came out where the individual said that they don't give, it was pretty defiant and I don't give them dishes. And I, I don't want it to appear that that's the reason I'm doing it. And it's not. It's just, it's now I've got, I think this week, seven comments from people asking, do they really need water dishes? Ranging from, do they need water dishes to the, I don't know why you waste time giving them water dishes thing. And then we have the video I just did on Formictivus species where I kind of tongue in cheek in the end told how do you deal with the tarantula that cleans its, it fills its water dish with dirt because that's another one I get quite a bit. Well, they film with dirt. What's the point? I, just clean the things out and fill them with water. So I was happy that a couple of people kind of got the sarcasm there because it was, you know, it, it was tongue in cheek. I wasn't trying to be a jerk about it, but I do feel very strongly that it, that's part of, they're, they're the easiest animals in the world to keep. I mean, you really don't have to feed them every day. You don't even have to change your water dish every day, but once a week, taking that dish out, cleaning out, refilling it with water, not a very difficult thing to do, not very time consuming. So to kick this, this is going to be kind of a hodgepodge today and just some topics that I want to cover and some things that people have brought up over the past few weeks or so that I've kind of had. What I do is I take notes. Unfortunately, my notebook that I usually take notes on, I've been trying to write down people's names when they ask comments so I can kind of shout out and say, hey, thanks for the suggestion. And I can't find the one. I thought I had the one that I was using. And instead, I have another one here that doesn't have any of the comments or names in it. So I'm kind of flying blind. So if you were the one that made the comment or made the suggestion, please feel free to, to say hello and chime in so I can thank you personally. I feel terribly that I don't have the names on this one. But 
First one is actually has nothing to do with comments. It's an update on the M. Balfouri communal. And we knew this time was coming. And it, it, I knew this time was coming. I, I don't know if other people were thinking about it the way I do. But we had our first death in the communal. Unfortunately, the first m- mature male that I had passed away. And it took us a while. I knew he was on his last legs. He was kind of roaming around the enclosure a couple months ago. He had lost part of one of his back legs. And I've noticed it with some of the males because they tend to climb a lot that they end up injuring themselves. And I've had males injure their legs before. And one of the segments of the legs was basically dangling. And next thing I know, it had fallen off. But he was still he was still going around. But I dropped in food about a month ago and he didn't eat. And normally he's a ravenous little guy. And to make a very long story short, we pulled out the communal the other day to do some feeding and cleaning and, and to change the water dish and whatnot. And I looked in the back and it took me a while to figure it out because at first I thought it was a molt, but then I realized it was the male. He had webbed himself up in a little, he'd been a little webbed up area in the back and just settled down and died. And unfortunately he'd been there for quite a bit. So I didn't know. I had no idea. I couldn't find him. We didn't usually, sadly, when you lose a spider and they're, you know, a larger spider, you can usually sniff it out. I didn't smell anything. I didn't, I just knew I hadn't seen him in a little while and was worried about him. So a couple questions answered with this one. Number one, a lot of folks were asking, you know, do you think that they'll attack the sick ones once they start dying? The answer to that one seems no. He went around. He was still, he wasn't trying to breed at the end, but he was, you know, walking around the enclosure. He was quite active and I'd seen him kind of brush by a couple of the females, no issues there. It looks like when you look at where he is, the other spiders are completely ignoring him. Like none of them are in that little webbed capsule that he made for himself. Nobody's going near it and, or nobody was going near it. He's out of there now. But it seems like he just went in there, curled up, and died. So, nope, they didn't bother him. They didn't attack him because he was weak. They didn't attack him because he was on his way out. He just, it seems like, died peacefully in his own little chamber there, which is kind of nice. And then the other thing people were wondering about is when they die, will they eat them? Because I've heard reports that... People have said that in their communal in their communal setups, one of them would die and the rest of them would clean it up and eat it. Like they weren't wasting anything. Well, he's dead. Might as well have a good meal out of it. And no, I didn't see any of that. Again, this is just my experience with one male, with one communal. So I don't ever want it to seem like I'm coming out saying this is the be all end all. This is, They won't eat each other. I don't know. This is just what happened in mine. He died peacefully by himself in a little chamber in the back. Nobody bothered him. Nobody's near him. Nobody's, it's funny because as we were trying to shine the flashlight in there, one of the other females got kind of spooked by the flashlight and a lot of times they go and retreat and she went to retreat into that area and then backed out and went to another area which I thought was interesting almost like she was like oh nope that's a little graveyard so we did get him out of there I will be doing a video of it and it's it's sad in a way because obviously there's been nine in there for oh gosh how long has it been since I got to 2016 so it's been close to four years that I've had them and there's always been the nine in there and it is it's sad this know that you know it's down one however this guy matured out very early on I believe it was about August of 2017. He was the first one to mature, a little guy too. He didn't, he was one of the smaller ones and he had a good run. I mean, it's been two years and I'll try to spare you my wonky math, about eight months. I'm literally sitting here counting on my fingers. Two years, eight months, almost, you know, close to three years he went fully mature. That's pretty awesome. So he had a good run. He did get the breed. Unfortunately, it sounds like now what I'm hearing from people is that the females, although they'll breed and they'll breed readily when they're in the communal environment, 
environment, they won't lay a sack if the males are in there. So it sounds like until the males leave or until I either decide to pull the males out or the males die off, the females will not lay a sack. I did take one of the males out and pair it with my older female, and I'm hoping she she was out last night. She was looking pretty fat. She's eating well. I'm hoping that she gets a sack because this is a species, obviously, I really want to breed, but we'll see how that goes. But anyway, it's sad because, you know, it's, it's kind of the end of the original group, but in another way, he got many opportunities to, you know, have lady love, so we don't have to really worry about that. He had a good long life afterwards, and he was not devoured by his buddies, which was great. I know my kids were like, oh, good, they didn't need him. No, they didn't need him. I mean, it looks like that. They are not cannibalistic with each other. At least mine have not been cannibalistic with each other at all, even when one dies or is sickly, which is great to know. So you guys, my podcast listeners, will be getting that update first. I have to put together the video for the mail and whatnot. And I'll admit a little bit, I'm holding it back a little bit, only because I had two like snotty people come on and leave comments like, hey, are you ever going to do another M. Balfouri update? I love these things. What's going on? And, And I've said like a bunch of times now that if I don't post anything, it means I don't have anything to post. But it's like people love them so much. I think they think I'm holding stuff back and I'm not. It's like sometimes there's not a lot going on. A lot of people that keep them now have come back to me and going, yeah, now they put on some size. You don't see them as much as I thought you would. And I've tried to make that clear. So I'm going to hold on this one just out of spite a little bit. No, I won't. I'll probably put it up pretty soon. But it was kind of funny because I literally just get this stuff with the mail. And then I get two. One comment was even, I can't remember how it was phrased. I don't want to exaggerate it, but it was like very demanding. I was like, come on, man. I haven't caught anything yet. So we'll get that one up. But just a heads up to you guys all listening. We're down one now, and the other males, though, are still kicking, still eating. I dropped in some crickets the other day, and they were all over them, so I, I got a funny feeling those guys will be going for quite some time, and if I'm not mistaken, the second male matured out almost a year after the first male, and then the fourth male matured out almost a year after that, so they're really spread out, so I got a funny feeling these guys will be going for quite some time, which will make them quite, you know, quite old when they finally pass away. So next thing we are covering, and it's I'm not going to get too, too much into this because I've done a lot with these guys over the years, but I posted up a video with my avicularia enclosures, the little ones that I cut the bottoms off, and I, I think I mentioned in the last podcast I was doing it while I threw the video up, and I've had several people ask questions, and it made me stop and think a little bit. Uh, basically the question was, and I, and if you're the one that asked it again, I apologize. A couple people kind of asked it in a roundabout way, but some people, one person came out and flat out said, is what is your thought on the fact that people seem to think the avicularia species and carabina are more delicate than some of the other tarantulas out there? Is it really just a husbandry issue or are they really delicate or is it a combination of both? And I had to think long and hard about that because I, I've shared before that when I kept my first avicularia, my back in the day it was avicularia versicolor, I got a little half inch sling and I hate to say it, but I was, I felt like I was prepared as soon as I got in and I'm like, I'm going to kill this thing. I was like obsessed, obsessing over not killing it. Like it was constant where I was checking on it. Like, am I, am I doing this right? I think I've talked about before how I spoke to a keeper who was raising them. He's like, listen, ignore all the stuff out there. It says they have to be keep, kept super moist. I keep mine mostly dry. I will mist down leaves every once in a while. I give them plenty of ventilation. So the, the big takeaway after speaking to this guy was keep them mostly dry. Don't overdo it with the moisture. Make sure there's good ventilation. So when I got mine, I had a Jamie's enclosure. I was worried because it didn't have cross ventilation. It just had that little vent in the front. I picked mine up in October. So the heat was starting to kick on. My air was getting really dry. The temperature in my house the temperatures in the tarantula room at that point, because this is before I had the space heater, 
were would drop down to like 67 or so. We had a couple nights where it hit 66, but usually around 68 to 70 or so in the wintertime. The air, I had no humidifier going. So after later on, after trying to figure out what the, how bad the humidity was in my home, because it gets very dry in there. Everybody's skin gets dry and everything in the wintertime. And it was before we were running humidifiers. The air was probably in the single digits as far as the humidity inside the home. It was very, very dry. And I kept my girl mostly, basically what I would do is I would take the bottom of that little thing. I'd keep a corner of it moist. I didn't even have water dishes at this point and would miss the side of the enclosure like maybe once a week. And she did fine all winter long. Like I had no issues. I thought she was going to die. I'm like, it's too dry. She's going to die. She did fine. And that's in those dry conditions. So I kind of proved at that point that they don't need the moisture that people are saying that they need. Since then, I've obviously raised more. I had the babies with my female. We bred the female and had a bunch of babies and I kept some of those. I did, full disclosure, lose one of the babies. They're all kept exactly the same. One of the babies just was doing, seemed to be doing great went to molt and she got a couple legs stuck in the molt and was dead within a, a day. Unfortunately, there was nothing I do. I tried to trim away the extra molt, but she was kept in a 32 ounce deli cup and it was during the summer where it was more humid. So it wasn't a dryness. It was weird. It was not sure what happened to her, but so I did lose one of them, but I've had good luck with the rest of the Vicularia species. I now have six Avicularia, Avicularia, Morph 6, so the originally the Metallicas, and we'll see how those do, but I, I feel comfortable in how I'm keeping them, and I do think that a lot of the earlier deaths can be attributed to people going overboard with humidity requirements, with stuffy enclosures. I do think that was a huge issue with it. If you go back, I mean, if you read older stuff, like in the early 2000s and stuff, people were keeping them quite moist. They were having a lot of deaths. I do think that can kill them. However, I having done this for a while and having spoken to many, many, many people over the course of the years, I can tell you the biggest, the species that I tend to get the most emails or messages about sudden deaths still remain either Vicularia carabina or usually a Vicularia, Vicularia slings or carabina versicolor slings. I get a lot of emails and a lot of messages about people losing them. It seems like the bigger they get, once they hit that juvenile stage and adult stage, they seem to be quite tough. I've heard people say that the adult avicularias, avicularias are tougher than shoe leather, especially a lot of them are sold in pet stores where they're kept terribly and they still do quite well. But the slings especially, I think, and I are a little less, um, a little less hardy than say other species of slings that you may keep. They just seem to have a narrower band as far as acceptable conditions for husbandry than some other ones. So say you take an LP, I've had people go, oh, I was keeping my LP sling dry and somehow it still does fairly well. You take an avicularia, you make it too moist and next thing you know, you have a dead avicularia or you put it in an enclosure that doesn't have enough ventilation. You have a dead avicularia. So I do think uh, and again, it's I don't want people shying away from them because I think there's good information out there. And I think that if you follow the correct people and the correct setups, and there's a lot of different folks out there that have their own way of doing it. And again, as I've noted, a lot of folks will go out and they're, they'll say, I've kept this many slings this way and not lost one. You want to pay attention to that because it means they're onto something. So I do think that there are good husbandry guides out there that will set that if you go by them and you don't freak out and you don't overdo it with the misting and you don't overdo it with the moist substrate, you can have a healthy spider. But 
I think that we'd be wrong to not admit that there are indications that these guys are just a bit more fragile than some of the other slings on the market. I think that has to be kind of acknowledged because, again, I have people – think of it this way. and You'll have people that will come out and they'll go, well, it's only because they didn't know how to keep them. Well, I have a lot of people contact me that don't know how to keep certain species of slings. Unfortunately, that's one of the problems with the, you know, tarantula hobby is that people buy stuff and they don't do the research and they're not keeping them correctly. They don't always result in death. In many instances, they do just fine until they can correct the husbandry. It doesn't seem to be that way with the avicularia, some of the avicularia species and carabina. So I do think, my personal opinion, again, I can't prove or disprove this, but I've had, I've heard from enough people. And the other thing is, a lot of times when people contact me with issues about their tarantulas, I will say, could you do me a favor, tell me how you're keeping it, and show me a picture of the enclosure. And sometimes you get an enclosure, like I had somebody that sent me a Caribbean enclosure that had died. It was all shriveled up. It looks like they just took a garden hose to the inside of that enclosure. There wasn't enough, there wasn't a real lot of ventilation to begin with. The substrate was soaked, the plants were soaked, the spider itself was curled up, and it looked like they had sprayed the spider too. That thing was just in horrible conditions. They didn't do their homework, they didn't set it upright. However, what I also get a lot of is people that send me a photo that looks exactly the way I would set them up. I had one the other day where the dude had a beautiful setup for avicularia versicolor. The cage size was appropriate. Plenty of ventilation holes, little water dish, plenty of foliage for them to, you know, hunker down and create their web burrows in. It it looked like an ideal sub. He showed me even a picture of the substrate. You could tell just one corner of it was moist and he still found it dead. So I do think they're a little more susceptible to husbandry missteps. They may be more susceptible to environmental factors. You know, there's... I mean, the majority of my tarantulas, if the temperatures change a little bit, it doesn't impact them. We've had, you know, power outages where the temperatures have dropped. We had one point where it dropped to the 50s, mid 50s. They all came up, including my avicularia and my carabina at the time came out of it fine. But, you know, there could be, as the humidity in your house shifts, that could be something. Temperature shift, I don't know, but they do seem to be just a bit more fragile. And I know that the general consensus nowadays is that with the proper care, they can thrive. And I still agree with that. I, I absolutely think that with the proper care, you can have a perfectly healthy sling with no problems at all. However, we can't overlook the fact that for some reason, I think the SADS or sudden uh, evict death syndrome is much less prevalent than it was maybe 10 years ago, but there still seem to be cases of people that seem to be keeping them perfectly fine and then they just drop dead on them. So I do think that, you know, there are some folks, and again, obviously I said I received the photos of the one that had been sprayed down. It was saturated. So there are still some people that aren't doing their homework and are setting them up improperly. But I also think there we've seen enough examples that, yes, they probably are a bit more fragile. I don't think they're as delicate as some will make them out to be, but I think they're a bit more fragile than some of the other species we keep. And I think that's part of that's due to the fact that we're used to these guys the tarantulas being so adaptable that they do thrive in a variety of conditions. And then we kind of falter when we realize that's not the case with a particular species or genus. So for example, yes, well, you're talking about the LPs. They seem to be quite resilient when you keep them in a variety of different situations and they do quite well. Again, I had the guy email me that he was keeping the sling completely dry. It had molted a few times, was doing well, which kind of shocked me. I, I wouldn't keep them that way, but it shows that it's a tough species because it's still doing okay under those uh, the conditions. Then we go to try to apply that same idea because we get spoiled. They really do. And I've talked about many times how it's not, tarantula care isn't that difficult because there aren't many specific requirements. It's either like dry or it's moist. That's it. 
And then we get to a species where we can't really do that with it. We have to be a little more careful with the conditions and we kind of falter because we're not used to having to be that careful. We're used to being able to go, all right, here we go. I'm dropping it into a 32 ounce deli cup. I'm keeping it dry. I'm keeping some air holes in here. or I'm keeping it moist. I'm keeping some air holes in here and we're done. And suddenly we realize we got to be a little more cognizant of what we're doing with it. We got to be a little more careful in the conditions with it. I think that throws us off. So I do think that's part of it. And I think some of these guys kind of suffer because we're all so used to just kind of, and I think those of you that have been in the hobby for a while recognize this, that the majority of them, there's only so many ways to keep them and they all do well. And I don't think it's because we're just amazing keepers or our husbandry is great. I think we've just found that in many instances, a one size fits all type husbandry approach works with the majority of these species. And I think that maybe a Vicularia and Carabina fall a little bit outside of that where you do have to be a little more careful, a little more cautious and not go overboard with the spraying and make sure the ventilation is good. And I think that kind of screws some people up because they pick up other spiders. They don't do the correct things for those and they do just fine. Then they get the Avicularias and the Carabinas and suddenly they have dead spiders. So again, I think when you look at an issue like this, you can't just look at it from one side or one angle. You have to look at it from husbandry. You have to look at it from the actual spider. You have to look at it from, you know, how you have to look at how many instances of this we still have to recognize it still seems to be kind of a problem or kind of an issue. Not as bad as it used to be. I think we've gotten better, but there are still issues. And then I think you need to be realistic in that these guys can be difficult at slings, at the when they're slings. I want to make that very clear because I know somebody will come on and go, I've, I've had an adult, they're fine. The adults, again, adults and juveniles, this doesn't seem to be as much of an issue with, although we have had some issues lately with adults just dropping dead. So who knows? But I do think that we have to concede that they are a little bit more delicate than some of the other species we keep. And that's something you need to know going into. I don't want to scare people off for them. Carabina versicolors are absolutely gorgeous. Again, I've raised a few of them now and they're awesome spiders. The first one was one of the first slings I ever bought and I somehow managed to bring her into adulthood. So it can be done. And under, you know, again, I, that first winter I had her, those were some pretty harsh conditions and she did great. So I wanted people to feel confident that they could do it, but do make sure you do your homework. Do make sure you read up on it. Do make sure that you feel comfortable in your basic husbandry before you pick one up so that you're not stressing over it. Because I do think in some instances, some of these deaths come from people overdoing it, freaking out. I know I'm thinking of this one story with somebody that had theirs kept perfectly and then they got it in their head that it wasn't doing well. So they freaked out and sprayed the head heck out of the inside of the enclosure and basically that the spider's health took a nosedive. I think it ended up living, but it was a situation where the person reacted. They went, oh God, I don't think it looks okay. I was trying to tell them it looks fine to me, but they didn't think it looked good. They were afraid it was getting dehydrated. They caught it one morning in a pose that they thought was a death curl and they thought it was dehydrated so they freaked out and I do think that happens sometimes with these guys and I've done it I've been guilty of it in the past where you start to lose your mind a little bit when something's wrong and you can't figure out what it is and you start doing things that you normally wouldn't do because at this point you're like all right I'm just trying to save the spider so you think that it's dehydrated you spray the snot out of the inside of the enclosure next thing you know you've made the conditions even worse and more stressful for the spider so Again, it, it comes down to the fact that I think it's it's a little bit of both. I do think the our husbandry nowadays, what we how we keep these, and there's enough, there's many videos out there that show you the correct way to keep these guys. If you follow those, I think you really do mitigate many of the risks with them. But are there some out there that just still mysteriously die? It seems like they do. So again, I'm sure there's people out there right now that are like, I've raised a hundred of these and never lost one. 
And that's great. And please share what you're doing with them because I think people could benefit. But for you know, for everybody that's raised a bunch and haven't lost any and obviously know what they're doing and have it down, there seem to be a bunch of people that pick these guys up and end up with losses. So if anything is taken away from this, it's this isn't a species I want somebody to shy away. Or these aren't species I want people to shy away from because a lot of people do have success with them. They're beautiful spiders. But you do need to be aware that the slings at least can be a little less hardy than some of the other slings you may have kept and you need to be a little more on point with your husbandry. You don't want to kind of freak out and do something that's going to end up with a dead spider. You want to make sure you do your research, make sure you're comfortable with it and make sure that you set them up correctly because that's another thing. People put them in these little enclosures with not enough place to hide. They don't settle in. They wander around. That could be another issue I've seen with these guys is that they're put in barren enclosures and that can really make it difficult for the spider to settle in. So make sure your enclosure is set up right. Make sure you have your basic husbandry down with sling care and feel free to reach out to people when you're afraid something's wrong. Because sometimes you see something you think is wrong. And again, like this one that thought it was in the death curl, I didn't think it was in the death curl at all. And they went nuts and sprayed it. Feel free to reach out because sometimes just talking to other people about it, showing pictures of it will, if there's something wrong, they can identify it for you before it becomes an issue. Or if there's nothing wrong, they can say, you know what, take a deep breath, relax, your spider should be okay. So that's my thought on that. Again, I don't want to, I don't ever want to push anybody away from a species and that's not the point of this, but I do want to, I did think it was time to have a realistic discussion about the fact that although I think our improvements in husbandry have made a huge difference in reducing the number of deaths with carabiners and evicts, the emails and constant message I get show that there are still some issues out there, even with some folks that seem to be keeping them correctly. So it is something we need to kind of discuss. So again, so people don't feel so alone when they lose one, because I think sometimes what happens is people lose one and they're afraid to say anything because they think they're going to get torn apart and that's a shame. People should be able to come out because who knows, we may think we have the husbandry right now and we may find even more improvements as we go ahead because obviously back in the day, everybody thought they had to be kept moist and nasty and dank and it was killing them. We've made improvements, but there's always room for improvement. So who knows, maybe some of these deaths, we find out something even more we can tweak to make it even more hospitable for them when we choose to keep them in captivity. And finally, to close this one out, I want to go back to a topic that I brought up. I think it was a couple podcasts ago, but somebody brought up a very good point that I missed when I was talking about this. But one of the things I've been spending a lot of time thinking about or recently is the fact that for years we've said how clean tarantulas are, that you don't need to change the substrate often at all. And to encapsulate, because I've gone over this a few times in the recent months, I've been giving a lot more thought to the fact that I think when we talk about our husbandry requirements, a lot of times, you know, back in the day, we told people you don't have to change the substrate much, but that was when people were keeping more of the drier species, the beginner species, the ones that don't require moisture or don't burrow. And I think that when it comes to burrowing species, especially, we sometimes set up environments that could be hazardous to the spider by not cleaning out that substrate. So what I mean by that is you get a burrowing species, say an adult, you drop it into a big tub of dirt, you let it do its thing, it burrows, and then you keep it in there for months. And what happens is you are adding water to this enclosure. You are dropping prey items in like crickets and roaches. They're eating the crickets and roaches, but you're not, even when you pull out the bolus, let's call it as it is, there's juices getting into the ground. There's biological matter that can rot and decompose getting into the ground that can create an area, especially if they bring it into their burrows. That can create like a petri dish of bacteria in those burrows, and we're not going to see that. It's going to be like a silent killer. So I think I've been in the hobby for quite some time. I've had some mysterious deaths where a seemingly healthy fossorial species has suddenly, and, and usually you get the signs of it are it starts hanging out in the surface. It starts hanging out by the water dish. It's like, oh, look it. It's visible. It's out more. You get all excited, and then you realize, no, something's wrong. 
And I've had this happen a couple times over the years where it's been an older fossorial species that's seemingly healthy. Next thing you know it, it's hanging out on the surface, then it's dead. So you start thinking about the fact that when you have an enclosure like this and you're just pouring water in and pouring water in and there's probably biological stuff in there rotting and decomposing, it's going to create a fetid environment. It's going to create a basically a hazardous environment to the tarantula where it's surrounded by bacteria when it's in its den. So I think I brought up recently that it makes more sense. Like for me now, I'm going to be cleaning them probably annually. I will move my fossorial species. And the good thing for me now is I have a lot of them in uglier enclosures and I want to get them into something nicer. So what I will do is probably for their first adult enclosure, it'll be one of the uglier ones. And then as they put on some size or you know a year goes by, I'll move them into something nicer. So it kind of gives me an excuse to move them because obviously nobody, I think the other problem is with a lot of these moisture-dependent fossorial species, they're usually old worlds that we don't want to mess with more than possible. So I think a lot of us get to the point where we're like, eh, you know what, better leave well enough alone, not disturb it, not get it out there, have a huge debacle of trying to rehouse an ornery, defensive old world. We'll just keep it in its cage where it's safe. But unfortunately, it may be safe for, safer for us, but it may not be safer for the spider. Now, Somebody brought up the fact, well, what about bioactive enclosures? And that was something I did not mention, and I probably should have mentioned, that supposedly with bioactive enclosures, if you set them up correctly, you have your plants, you have your substrate, you have your cleaner insects, what you're creating is a cleaner environment because the insects are taking care of that biological matter. They're breaking stuff up. The bacteria you want, there's good bacteria, bad bacteria, you want that good bacteria to keep the bad bacteria in check. That's another thing that the bioactive enclosures do. You have the the fungi that help keep things going going correctly. I mean, I don't know, and I have to get somebody on here to talk about this stuff because I don't know all the technical terms for it, but it's the idea is you're creating an environment that would be more akin to its environment in the wild where things could filter, you know, the impurities will be filtered out, the feeder animals will eat the impurities, the bacteria balances will be correct for the spider so that you don't have a situation where you create a petri dish in its den, a toxic environment where it's eventually going to succumb to some type of bacterial infection, which to us is just going to appear like a random death. And I think that's what happens quite a bit in some of these situations where we get in a fossorial and all of a sudden, and I get a lot of these emails too. And I, it's one of the things I've been sharing with people is like, A, I'm trying to move to bioactive enclosures for just this reason. And B, this is a reason I'm considering changing out my enclosures after a year to make sure that they don't become too polluted with bacteria and things that can harm my spider. But supposedly the bioactive, and that's one of the things that really attracted me to it when I was talking to people about it. And my buddy Ryan was giving me a lot of information about it. And it really it made sense to me because that was something I was already looking at. I'm making a tub of dirt. Imagine just for a year pouring, having an animal living in a tub of dirt. I mean, sure, the, they poop. It's pretty clean. They go out on the surface. They poop. You can wipe it away. It's not a big deal. But it's that bacteria. So supposedly, yes, bioactive enclosures, you should be able to keep longer. They should be able, if, if the balances are correct from what I've gathered, from what my research has told me, from what people who swear by them have told me, if the balance is correct, you could keep them in there a lot longer because it's going to create like that environment they would have in the wild with the natural bacteria, the good bacteria, the bad bacteria, fungi, the feeder insects. It all works together to keep everything in there clean. That's why people swear by them. So I, I was remiss when I forgot to mention that because I know somebody was listening to, the, uh, listen to one of your older podcasts and you mentioned that you should clean them out every year. Is this, does this go for bioactive? I thought bioactive supposedly helps that. Yes, bioactive supposedly helps combat that. Again, that's why so many people use them. I think
think a lot of people, myself included, I was in this batch, thought that people were just trying to put together really pretty enclosures, didn't realize the actual health benefits they can have. So yes, if you're keeping a fossorial tarantula and you're not doing a bioactive enclosure and you're using dirt or peat or whatever you end up using for your substrate, my... my current thought is you should probably change them out after a year. I don't have any hard, you know, if somebody calls me, well, what, where, how did you come up with a year? I don't know. You know, I think it comes down to the fact that it seems like after a year's time, that stuff's been probably polluted a bit. It's time to get them into something cleaner. So I know we don't want to go and rehouse all our spiders all the time. I'm not saying you have to do it monthly. I don't think you have to do it monthly. I don't think you have to do it bi-monthly. I don't even think you have to do it twice a year. But I think after a year, kind of going back, looking at the enclosure, usually by this point, they're getting webbed up to the point where they're, you know, there's webbing everywhere. There's poo on the sides of the enclosure. There's some poo that you can't get to in the dirt. It just might be nice to start from scratch, replace the substrate, give them some clean substrate, a clean environment. Does it have to be exactly at the year mark? No. But do you want to let them go like we used to in the past two, three years like this? No. I think that's that's a problem. I think that's where we get these enclosures that become hazardous to our spiders because too much stuff is festering in it after that time, especially... Just keep dumping that water in. It doesn't go anywhere. It can't filter. It puddles in the bottom. Even the water itself is going to get kind of stagnant. So I would say at the year mark, start thinking about rehousing. Make it fun. Decide you're going to read, you know, think about putting them in a new enclosure. Try a little something different. Think about decorating it differently. But that would be my recommendation. That's what I'm doing. You don't have to listen to me. That's what I'm doing with mine. A bioactive enclosure should be able to go much longer. And I think that's one of the perks of it. So if you're doing bioactive and you've got a true bioactive where you've got plants in there breaking stuff down, you've got your feeder insects, then you're probably in much better shape and you you know just keep an eye on it monitor it if it looks like it's getting nasty if you look like you're getting stuff in there that you don't want in there then maybe it's time to change it but again just wanted to clarify that before people went out and started dumping all their bioactive enclosures because tom said that you should dump enclosures after year no that's not it and again with species that don't require the burrow that don't burrow that don't require the moist substrate obviously you can still go much longer you can spot clean you can pull boluses out you can clean the size of the enclosure to clean off any of the poo that's on it you can scoop out poo you can even i've done things where i've taken out half the substrate scooped out half the substrate and added fresh substrate and kept the other substrate in there so then they still have some of their old substrate but you've put some fresh stuff in there there's many ways around it but i do think some of the old data we've been going by some of the old rules we've been going by like you never have to clean them they're so clean i don't think take into account that there are a lot more fossorial moisture dependent species available now than there probably were 15 10 15 20 years ago and i think we need to kind of adjust to the times a little bit and recognize that yes that works for some spiders but i think with other ones we have to be a little more cognizant of the fact that we could be putting them in danger if we keep them in those enclosures for too long so hopefully that clarifies that a bit and you know feel free to discuss and i'd love to hear other people's opinion too this is my opinion this isn't again i i don't ever want to put anything out there and be like all right this is the new role the, the industry standard you all have to clean your fossorial species once a year but this is stuff that i think about this is these are changes that i'm making to my husbandry because again i think the whole Thomas Big Spiders thing is about really getting the best, most current information out there, making changes when changes are needed, reevaluating things. Again, I'm not just sitting here going, all right, this is it. I've got this mastered. I'm done. I'm constantly making changes. I'm constantly rethinking things. I'm always trying to find a better way to do stuff or a way to improve. And I think that should be the mindset getting into the hobby. Again, there's some things you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's
some things are kind of set in stone with tarantula care, but we should always be considering, is there a way to improve? Is there a way to do it better? And I think in this instance, with at least my moisture-dependent fossorial species, there is a way I can improve what I'm doing. There is a way I can make it better and safer for the spiders, so that's what I'm doing. But feel free to chime in if you have any, you know, a different point of view or something you're doing, or maybe what, when, you know, what point do you decide you may want to clean your substrate? I do think we have some people out there that think it has to happen all the time and clean it a bunch, and that doesn't need to happen. That just disrupts the spider. But I do think around the year mark, it is a point, you know, even for any spider to kind of look at the enclosure. Should I get some new substrate in it? Should I clean things up? It really, they're obviously, you're upsetting them. You're stressing them out for the few moments that you're, you know, taking them out of the cage and fixing things up. Obviously, it may take them a little while to settle back in, but they'll get over it. And if they're going to be safer for it, it's for the good of the spider. So sometimes it's a necessary evil to disrupt them a little bit. But anyway, that's my thoughts on that. That will do it for this podcast. Again, I hope everybody's safe, stays safe this next coming week. This is supposed to be the second of the bad weeks, I believe, coming up. I hope everybody has a fantastic Easter. I may put this one up early. We'll see. If it's up Saturday, you'll know I put it up early. If it's Easter, well, you'll know I put it up on the normal Sunday time slot. But anyway, hope everybody's doing well. As always, you can find me on Tom's Big Spiders on YouTube. You can find me on tomsbigspiders.com. That'll do it for this one, guys. Hope everybody stays safe. I'll catch you next time.